With what you bring and with what I bring, the people together will flourish. It's a Māori proverb that um, is particularly apt for what I'm wanting to talk about this morning. The topic is giving, uh, but I figure people don't give because you tell them they should. <laughs> people give because they're secure in the person who gives to them. Um, and so, uh, while uh, what I might say this morning strikes some as a little idealistic, oh, that's not me, a little idealistic, I, I want to start off by saying I'm fully aware that there are things going on in the world right now and a number of things going on right now that I don't remember people being under this much pressure in my adult life. Um, inflation as high as it is and fuel going through the roof. Um, we've had COVID for two years and everything that that's brought and now uh, Ukraine and we haven't forgotten Afghanistan and there's flashpoints all over the globe. And I don't want to minimize or dismiss any of that and any of the pressure that you might be feeling in your life because of these events. But I do want us to start trying to reorient ourselves. Because, I mean, I, I, I'm like you. I've been brought up in this time and age and place, and I've spent my life being trained in a mindset that I, I'm going to call a scarcity mindset. And we've heard about this before. Someone was talking about this just a few months ago from this pulpit. Um, Abundance versus scarcity. But I don't think we can hear it too often. If we have a scarcity mindset, then we're going to be thinking, we're going to be focused on all of those worries. But if we have an abundance mindset, then our focus shifts onto our God who provides. And that, if you tune out now, is basically what I'm saying this morning. I don't want to come off as foolish or idealistic, but I might sound a bit like that at points today. I do think there's something about generosity that's in our nature that is kind of an instinct for us. Oh, am I? I am doing that. I don't know. I was in Cambridge High School uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I was talking with a guy who was a teacher of mine. We were just standing at the top of the uh, high school driveway, having a yarn. It was lunchtime, and three boys came up and joined us. And they were kind of talking to him, but they were kind of talking amongst themselves as well. And one of the boys, they were hungry, one of the boys said, yeah, we can have some noodles, and turned to the teacher and said, hey, we can have some noodles. <laughs> It wasn't his noodles he was giving away, it was the teacher's noodles. And the teacher said, one, two, three, yeah, you can have three noodles, three packets of noodles. And this kid, this teenage boy, was wanting to be generous with his mates. I think this is something that we can relate to. We want to be generous, but we just hold back a little bit. Because what if, what if there's not enough? And that's abundance versus scarcity at play. Oh. Yeah. I, I, 
Yeah, okay. I don't know. Yeah, okay, there we go. Whew. I think uh, when we look at our scriptures, abundance is the fundamental, the underlying mentality in a lot of what's going on in there. If I don't have a slideshow. Yeah, okay, click. Um, it underlies a whole lot of uh, what the Bible has to say to us, click. And I have a little example here. This uh, sloppy little jar of liquid uh, is something that I've had going for several years. What happened was um, I put a bowl out on the bench, kitchen bench, and I had a 50-50 mix of flour and water, covered it with a cloth so flies don't get in, left it on the bench. And I took half of it and got rid of it the next day and replaced with the same volume of flour and water, right? Some of you are nodding like you know what I'm talking about. And after, on the third day, I was told it would take four or five, maybe seven days. On the third day, and maybe there's something about that, uh, it started to have the smell. The, and if you want to come up afterwards and go, Ugh, my kids hate the smell. But it started to have that smell, and I knew it was ready. And so I, I, I built it up, and I bulked it up until I had enough. And now, fairly regularly, several years later, that same yeast is making loaves like this, which is still warm. If you cut it now, the butter will still melt. That's delicious. But I didn't do anything particularly, right? I put out the flour and the water, but that's just paste. That's glue you use for um, paper mache, right? But there's something happened to it that wasn't me. It's just, there's so much yeast all over the place. <laughs> It's just hanging around in the air. And if you leave flour and water out, the yeast will get in there, despite the cloth, right? The yeast will get in there and it'll start to bubble and it'll start to ferment. It'll start to actually have life. I watched a, a Netflix documentary, a series of four food documentaries. This episode was Air, I think. Um, and the, one of the points it was making was, if you have flour and water and you eat that, it's not going to do you much good but you add a little bit of yeast and you can live on that forever, right? So there's something that God's just put it into the creation. I don't have to do anything particular. I don't have to go to the, anyone and buy it. It's just laying around. And this, for me, is a really good example of the abundance that is built into the creation that we live in, that we enjoy. Click. And so um, there's the real famous story that Jesus, it's, it's parables that Jesus tells. And this came up a couple of weeks ago from the pulpit and uh, the person speaking said, this sounds a little bit hippie. And it really does. It's the, story, it's the parable when Jesus says, consider the birds, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns, but God feeds them. Consider the lilies, they don't toil or spin, but Solomon in all his splendor wasn't dressed like these. And if that's how God treats the grass that's here today and burned tomorrow, well, how much more is he going to care about you, right? But just before he tells that story, he says this. He says, 
This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves but is not rich toward God. Now this here, he's just told another story about a rich man who has an abundant harvest. He brings it all in and he's like, man, what am I going to do with all of this abundance? (laughs) I have heard the story of the Bible characterized like this. It's the story of what do people do with abundance? And often... They do what the rich man Jesus has just spoken about. They often do what he does. He says, hmm, what am I going to do with all the extra? I know, I'm going to tear down my little barns and I'm going to build big barns and I'm going to store it away so that I can eat, drink and be merry for the next few years. But he dies. God says, you're a fool and now you're dead. Who's going to enjoy your wealth? And And Jesus says, this is how it is for those who store up for themselves, they, they, they've got the scarcity mindset and thinking, oh, but well, what if I don't have enough? I better hang on to it instead of being rich toward God. Now, click, rich toward God? What does that mean? Uh, I've pondered it, and I really hoped that the original Greek would be able to help me out. I really hoped that rich would not really mean rich, it would mean something else, and that would help to unlock some of the meaning of it. But no, it just, I looked in the concordance, and, and rich means rich. <laughs> rich toward God? What does that mean? Well, he goes on and tells those parables consider the lilies, consider the birds. And in that telling, there are a couple more phrases, click that I think they don't really explain it nicely. There's no like three points and we can go, oh, that totally makes sense. But there are some hints, I think, that Jesus incorporates into this, uh, this set of parables that help us understand what it means to be rich toward God. He says, seek his kingdom and all these things, clothes and food, they'll be given to you as well. Well, what does seek his kingdom mean? I've spent a lot of my life thinking that it has quite a narrow meaning, which is evangelism and and make converts. And that's part of it, I think. But I think there's a much wider view in, in here as well. Seek his kingdom means live as if God is in charge. Hey, Ross, fantastic. I couldn't have asked for better as an introduction, right? God is in control. God has created an abundant world. If we love one another, that's how they'll they'll know we're his disciples. If we're generous with each other. If we seek his kingdom, we're living as if God is in control, as if the kingdom is here, as if there is enough. And we don't have to store up for ourselves, but we can be rich toward God. And what you do for the least of these, you do to me, says Jesus. And so rich to each other, I think, is rich toward God. And then where your treasure is, this is the end of the set of parables, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. Somehow in my head for a long time, I flipped that around. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be. I don't know why I did that or even how I did that. But the right way around is treasure and then your heart follows that. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> There's so many riddles, right? So many. This is great. The scriptures are great because if you read them quick, you sort of get the gist. But if you stop 
and just meditate, there are these riddles that open up these richnesses. I love it. Wow. So what's the treasure? Well, in a giving sermon, <laughs> there's often like tithing, right? So money. But we've got time. Well, some of us have more than others. Same with money, right? More time than others. Um, it might be that when you're younger, when you're at school, you've got plenty of time, and so you can start uh, serving in various parts of the church. Uh, it could be uh, once you're in middle age and you've got more money, then you can start giving more to the projects that the church has. That, that could be it. It could just be energy. You know, that what, what are you putting your energy towards? The, and those are the three classics, money, time, and just effort. Where are you putting those? Are you tearing down barns and building bigger ones? Or are you being rich toward God and to your brothers and sisters? Are you seeking his kingdom, living as if it's here? Well, that's, that becomes quite a big challenge. Click. I think there's a, a story in Matthew, um, which is often, mis- I should say, you know, the, the consider the lilies, consider the birds, it's headed up in my Bible, do not worry, but I, I think that misses the point. It's not do not worry, it's understand God's generosity. And this woman in this um, discussion here in Matthew, I think she gets it. And it's often, you know, sometimes people take this particular story and they say things like, look at how misogynistic Jesus is. He doesn't like women at all. So this woman comes to him and, and has a request that her daughter's healed. She's not Jewish and she's a woman. And he says, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs right? Very dismissive and gruff. This is grumpy Jesus. And she says in an imploring kind of a way, yes it is Lord, even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he's like, well, all right then, have a crumb. And heals her daughter. Click. But I've heard, and I don't speak ancient Greek, a better rendering is doggies, doggos, pet dogs. The Jewish New Testament that I have at home renders it pet dogs. That's not just, you know, mangy street dogs. This is the beloved member of the household that's running under the table as you eat. And so I like to imagine it this way. Jesus has taken the measure of this woman and he's just going to throw something out there. He's got a little smile playing on the corners of his lips and he says, you know, it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the doggies. She locks eyes as she's about to cross swords with this rabbi and she says, ah, yes it is, Lord. Even the doggies get the crumbs under the table. And he thinks... She gets it. And so he says to her, Woman, what great faith you have. You understand the generosity of God. There's so much it's falling off the table. Of course you can have it. Your daughter's healed. Right? 
I think that's a better characterization of what's going on in this. But is this just, you know, where does Jesus get this from? Where does he get this understanding of the generosity of God and that we can live out of that generosity? Well, of course, he gets it from what we call the Old Testament. For him, it was just the scriptures, right? The Tanakh, the, the law and the prophets and the writings. Click. I mean, Genesis 1 and 2 is almost too obvious to state, right? When uh, God's creating all this stuff and the, the trees that bear fruit with seeds that reproduce after their own kind, and he tells the people to go and, and be fruitful, you know, like the trees have fruit. People be fruitful too and multiply. Subdue the earth. Fill it. Boom! There's so much energy and life in all of that. Abundance. So easy to live in that. So I'm going to leave it there because we all know <laughs> that Genesis is full of energy and life. But there are other points in that Old Testament too that speak to God's provision, his generosity, even when it seems like this is it, it's the end. And this is uh, perhaps one of the first that sprung to my mind, uh, the Exodus story. And the people, <laughs> if you look up uh, Exodus 16, I didn't count it, but then the number of times the word grumbling is in the first part of it. Oh, people are grumbling and, and they go to Moses and they're grumbling and the Lord hears their grumbles. And so he says to Moses, check it out. Tonight, they're going to eat meat. And in the morning, they're going to have bread. And so quails came and descended on the camp. And they all had, I don't know, roast spatchcock quail. <laughs> Delicious. And then there was a dew on the ground. And when it dried up, there was this flaky stuff. And they were like, what is it? So they called it manna because manna means, what is it? And they were told, collect an omer per person in your household. I had to Google that. Oma, uh, 2.3 liters, or in traditional, this is awesome, uh, traditional measurement, 43.2 eggs. <laughs> That's an Oma. One-tenth of a ephah? Three seers, something like that. Uh, 43.2 eggs worth of what is it? And so everyone went out and they gathered their omers for their household. I was confused for a while by verse 17. Some gathered much, some gathered little, and when they measured it by the omer, the one who gathered much didn't have too much, and the one who gathered little didn't have too little. What? Is this some kind of miracle? Like, I'm just going to bundle it up. Here it is, and if I toss it into the omer measuring thing, it's, oh, look at that. It's magically what I need. No, 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 no. That guy, he's got a, he's like 10 people in his tent, so he's going to collect 10 omers worth, and they're going to measure it out, and he's got his 10 omers, great. And uh, there's only three people in that one, so they've only got to get three omers, they're only gathering little, and they've measured it, great. And we look around the camp, and everyone has an omer. Oh, cool, because no one took, everyone gathered just as much as they needed, right? They're not storing up and going, oh, but what if it doesn't happen tomorrow, right? They're going to have to trust God in his provision here that daily he's going to be bringing the manna. And it does. For 40 years, the manna keeps coming until the day they enter the promised land 
and it stops. The abundance of God, the provision of God, you can rest on the seventh day. On the sixth day, they would collect two omers per person, and on the seventh day, they could just rest, just relax. Don't worry about it. However, click. Oh, just as much as they needed. That's the key here. Click. However, some of them paid no attention to Moses. They kept part of it until the morning, but it was full of maggots and began to smell. So Moses was angry with them. Click. Maggots and smell. These are the signs of decay and of death. Where does death come from? It comes from the Genesis story, right? When people distrust God and disobey God. Here they've disobeyed Moses, but Moses is just passing on instructions from God. And so death enters into their tent. And so Moses is angry with them. Well, now we can start to understand, right? Why Jesus can tell a story of a rich man who's storing all this stuff up and he's dead. Don't worry. The pagans run after these things. God is abundant. Click. Poems have a way of condensing things, right? And so all of Psalm 104 is just a wild celebration of the magnificent bounteous generosity of the creation of God. And it talks about, you know, it starts at the sky and it's, you know, full of rain and there's these mountains and there's places for hyraxes. I don't know what they are. And, you know, there's, there's just, the, look at the sea, it's teeming with life and trees, uh, they've got all this water. And just in, a little bit in the middle of it, there's a little bit about people. The, the whole psalm is looking at the whole of creation and how powerfully alive it is. And there's just two bits that I want to focus on. Here's the first bit. They happen to run on to each other. He, that's God, makes springs pour into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. Who cares about the wild donkeys? God does. The birds of the sky nest by the waters. They don't just nest and live and exist. They sing among the branches. Who are they singing to? I think you could make a guess. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers where the rain comes from. The land is satisfied by the fruit of God's work. The land is satisfied. I love that. Man, I live on a farm, a sheep and beef farm, and there's not been a lot of rain lately. But I know it'll come. It always does. I mean, I don't want to sound disconnected from reality. I know that climate change is happening. But the abundant provision of the rain, and when it falls and the paddocks green up, Amazing. Click. Nice segue. So he doesn't just look after the wild places and the wild creatures. He makes the grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, not just enough to scrape by and to barely exist, not dusty morsels that we choke down to exist. This is no 
Soylent Green sci-fi pill once a day. I don't know if you ever watched any of those sci-fi movies where you just eat a pill and that's what you need for the day. The, the earth brings forth food. It's wine that gladdens human hearts. It's oil to make their faces shine. It's bread, bread that sustains hearts. Man. So as a kid, after church, going home for lunch, the number of times we stopped at the bakery, right? And you get fresh bread, bit of butter, jam, maybe some cheese. Man, we don't need much. I'm actually celebrating. We don't need much to be content, right? Not a lot. This will be good for someone, whoever's brave enough to come and get it. The abundant generosity of the world we live in, if we can shift our focus off of, ah, oh, but what if there's not, not enough, and start training ourselves and encouraging each other into God's generosity, which can then become our generosity, so that we can seek his kingdom and actually make his kingdom come. Right? where we take care of each other, and if I've got more than I need, then I look for opportunities to share it rather than storing it away in bigger barns. Click. There might not be quite enough time for this, but I didn't want to disappoint my father-in-law, who I overheard talking with my father last Sunday, and I was like, I'd like those numbers, please. Because we might think, what can I do? I'm just a lowly worm. I... I love Richard Scarry, and this is his character, Lowly Worm, from the Busy Town books. What can a lowly worm do? Well, a lowly worm can do a lot, and we'll go click, 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 I think. So if we assume, you know, if you're going to go out into your paddock, and you've got a spade, it's about 200 mils wide, and you dig a 200 by 200 little hole, and you count in the soil how many worms you can find, if you can find 10 worms in there, that means you've got 2.5 million worms per hectare. And if each of those worms is giving 66 grams of vermicast a day, I'm just trusting him on the numbers, right? Then that's going to be 1,650 kilos in that hectare per day. In a year, that's 602 ton of vermicast. Now, the crucial part in there is nitrogen, plant-available nitrogen. And if just 1% of all of that vermicast has nitrogen in it, then that's going to be six tons per hectare per year. So you don't need to artificially fertilize. <laughs> You're not doing anything. The lowly worms are doing it. Uh, it's plant available. It doesn't leach and pollute the rivers. This is why organic farming is the way to go. <laughs> Just put that out there. <laughs> if I'm a lowly worm and I'm just toiling away in my little part of the hectare, yeah, it doesn't amount to much. But if we are doing that, if we are seeking the kingdom of God, well, that can start to make a difference, right? And if we can be generous, take your pick in whatever way. Because you know that God is generous toward you. We can be rich toward God and to each other. He will give us our daily bread if we seek his kingdom.
which I think puts a new cast on that prayer. So click. We'll finish with this. And just think how the idea that God is generous and that there is an abundance underlies this. It, it's taken on a whole new life for me, this prayer. So if we can, I'd, I'd like us to stand and we'll just say this together and that will be our closing prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Amen.